I've entitled the message, Out of This World, uh, based on verses 15 through 17. I'm going to read them in just a minute. But here, here's the premise of what we're talking about. I had a, a conversation last week, and this was before I really knew what the sermon was going, to be, was going to be for today. And someone out of the blue asked me, how can John say in verse 15, not to love the world? When John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. And I, I immediately had the answer. I did. But it caused me to think that there are, there are many that are conflicted about those two messages that appear to be contradictory, but they're not. So that's the, the premise of the sermon today. But uh, let me read this and pray, and then we'll get into it. So 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse number 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word today. And uh, Lord, thank you for our time of worship. Thank you again, Lord, for our children and the families that are here today. And Lord, we pray also for those that are traveling on this Labor Day weekend, just your blessing upon them. But Lord, we ask you to uh, help us to hear your voice today through this message. Lord, I know you put this on my heart to share. I pray for everyone to have an open ear, an open spirit to hear what saith the Lord. I ask you, Lord, help me to communicate uh, clearly and articulately the things you put on my heart. And Lord, as we preach the word of God, may you, Lord, be exalted and, and honored by the proclamation of your word today. And may those here in the sanctuary, those at home, and maybe those during the week that will listen uh, through the video of it, May the body of Christ be blessed and encouraged because of it. So we welcome your spirit, Lord, to teach us, to show us exactly what we need to know. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen and amen. Well, if you remember, uh, last Sunday we were talking about the letter within the letter. And we talked about the children and the fathers and the young men. And uh, so John was addressing the various people within the church. In verse 15, he jumps right back into it without skipping a beat. And to me, verse number 15 is a very strong statement. I think, I think that verse is easily misunderstood and easily underappreciated as well. But here again, John is drawing a line in the sand. 
If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But he draws many lines in the sand in this message. If you look back in chapter 1, real quick, in verse number 6, we we went through this already, but in verse number 6 he says, If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, he's drawing the line. We, We lie and we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ uh, cleanses us. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, he draws a line, we deceive ourselves, etc. Verse 9, verse 10, all these if-then statements. So in verse number 15, he jumps right back in and he says, uh, if you love the things of the world and you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And the, the, the things of the world are characterized by two basic words, lust and pride. But we already know that a distinguishing mark of a Christian is loving God, loving the Father. And it's manifested, according to this, by not loving the world nor the things in the world. So I see a, a little bit of a dilemma here. Because another distinguishing mark, which we already said, is that we are called upon to love God, love one another, and love the lost. Thus, evangelism and missions. So when we read 1 John 2.15, we have to define what the world, what, what, what he's talking about that he's telling us not to love. I'll tell you right off the bat, it's not people. There's no way is he, is he referring to people. He's referring to the, a, a world value system that eliminates God from it. it it's, the, it's the world system of the fallen, of the unredeemed. And uh, I think in um, philosophical ways, in, in, in most colleges and universities, the word would be humanism. Functioning without God, like man is good enough without God. And so John is saying, don't love the worldly system or the things that are in the world. I mean, we already know John 3.16. God so loved the world. We know Romans 5.7 or 5.8, that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know Ephesians 5.25 where Paul says, husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We know that we're called upon to love our neighbor as ourself. So we're called upon to love people, but not to love the system of the world that's all around us. Now, the couple of things here. Uh, this system of the world characterized by lust and pride in verse number 16 is a distinguishing mark of Satan from whom we've been delivered from. And if we were to be honest, most of us here, or maybe all of us here, have been delivered from lust and pride. And some people might say, well, I never had a problem with lust, but I would say, well, then you had a problem with pride because pride always keeps us separated from God. So for my life, personally, I had a lot of pride. I didn't need God in my life like that. I had enough of God the way it was until I realized one day that wasn't working. So a characteristic of Satan's domain is lust and pride. But, but I have good news that Jesus came to defeat the kingdom of Satan. So this might be a little bit of a, a deep sermon today. So bear with me, all right? 
But when you think back on Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into town that day, in John chapter 12, this is what he said. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. For if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. In other words, if I be lifted up on the cross, Satan's domain will be crushed and all people will be drawn to me. So Jesus is saying, I'm drawing the line in the sand now. When I go to the cross, Satan's domain is pushed out and my domain comes to the forefront. In John 16, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will bring judgment upon the ruler of this world. So there is judgment already going on. So when John says in 1 John 2.15, uh, he's saying Christians cannot yield to what we have been delivered from. This system ruled by Satan. Look in your Bible. Look over to 1 John 5 real quick. This is a great summary verse. 1 John 5, 19. It says, we know that we're of God. And we can say, if we're born again, we know we're of God. We know we, we belong to God. We know we're in the light. But it says, we know we're, we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So we're in, you know, we're in a different domain. We're in the kingdom of God now, delivered from the kingdom of Satan. But that world of Satan is still present on the earth. Thus, we have conflict most of the time. At the Last Supper, by the way, Jesus also said, and you know this scripture, John 16, these things spoken to you, these things were spoken to you that you might have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. How many can say amen to that? Do you remember what it was like to be in the world and not in the realm of the spirit? You know, some people say, oh, those were the good old days. No, I say those were the, the bad, terrible days. Those weren't good days. But in the world you have tribulation. But he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So now we're in the world. We're not of the world. We're functioning in this environment where it's controlled by Satan's powers. But we're living in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So 1 John 2.15, as such... We cannot love or cherish or accept or indulge in or, or, uh, or, or grasp it or live in it, this fallen worldly system run by Satan characterized by lust and pride. But let me clarify that. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the things that God has given us to enjoy. I mean, I love the beach. I love a park. I love rivers. I love water. I love mountains. I love the outdoors. All those things, we are to enjoy those things that God has given to us. I love holy music. And there's a distinction between holy music and unholy music. This is a great example. There's some music I won't, I won't even touch. But other music, I will, I will live in that music, that worship music that, uh, that honors the Lord. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't love and appreciate the things that God has given us, like our families, even our unsaved family members, our homes, our cars, our necessities. And who doesn't like a good meal? We can enjoy a good meal. You know, I, I do as often as I can, as a matter of fact. But, uh, you know, we can enjoy the things that God has given to us. What it does mean is that we can't, can't engage in 
the fallen, unholy moral system that leaves God out, identified by lust and pride and greed and jealousy and hatred and corruption and bitterness and sneakiness and underhandedness and unholiness and unrighteousness. We can't live there. If we live there, in verse 15 it says, if we live there, the love of the Father is not in us. So again, John is making some very strong statements here. But I'll tell you what, after going through just the so far chapter 1 and, and half of chapter 2, I, I realize more than ever that when we say things like, you know, come out of the worldly way and live 100%, like we're radical. We are a radical group of people, but there's no other way to be. When you look at these scriptures, there's no other way to really be a Christian. In other words, if you're not radical, you're not really... You're not really a Christian, according to this. You're radically transformed by the Holy Spirit. And you're on a course of action that as you go on in life, you're going farther and farther away from the things of the world. Even though you're in the world, you're going farther and farther away from the things of the world. So let's look at verse number 16. Just want to explain this a little bit. So all that is in the world. So now he gives the characteristics of what he's talking about. These are the things that we we can't love, we can't embrace, we can't live in. The first thing he says, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Impure desires, sinful pleasures, sensual gratification. You know, flesh is always in reference to, you know, sensuality. And and the thing is, if, if John's writing it then... My goodness, it's magnified how many times more today? It's all over the place. As, as good as social media is for some things, it's terrible for other things. The internet, so, the whole media, the whole media business is so corrupt and immoral, it's not even funny. So just as a reminder, the love of the Father can't reside in us if we're indulging in the lust of the flesh. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 8, He says that to flee sexual immorality. He says that all sins that you commit um, are against others, but sexual sin you commit against yourself, against your own body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you can't live in that realm and have the love of the Father at the same time. And again, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking... John is writing this because of the Gnostic belief that it says it didn't matter how you lived. And John is saying so clearly, it matters how you live. And yes, there are people today that say the same thing. You love God, doesn't matter how you live. And I say, but look at this, it does matter how you live. Because how you live reflects who owns you. And we're owned by God. Jesus gave his life to own us. And so the way we live demonstrates who, who we belong to. And then the lust of the eyes. Uh, now we go, this is what Jesus would do. He would say, well, you've heard it, sir, heard it said, you shall not murder. But I'm saying to you, you can't even think about murdering someone. So now we go from what you do to the lust of the eyes, what you see, what you think about. No one may even know what you, what's going on in your head. But the lust of the eyes will, are things that are attractive to us you know, in, our, in our flesh but forbidden by God. And without even thinking about that, the first thing that came to my mind was pornography. You know, it's, it's all over the place. It's so blatant. But, but anything, violence, corruption, uh, 
unholy aspirations. I said it a few weeks ago. Our culture now is entertained by sin. So sexual sin, violence, all this weird stuff is our entertainment now. But he's saying, if you have the lust of the eyes going on, you know, not, not only what you do, but what you see and what you think about, you cannot have the love of the Father in you at the same time. Then he talks about the pride of life. I think the pride of life is probably something that would characterize my existence before, uh, before I surrendered to the Lord, because uh, there, I mean, there were some things I obviously did that were wrong, but there was a certain attitude that I had. Many young people have the attitude, I don't need God. I don't want God. I'm good enough the way I am. You know, I'm all set the way, way, the way it is. And God had to bring me through, personally, through a series of events over a few years period that brought me lower and lower and lower in life that made me realize my way is not working. And he broke my pride. He really broke my pride. But pride would say it's a spirit of arrogance, uh, hatred toward God, hatred towards God's word uh, and for God's people, uh, rejecting God as the highest authority, saying I don't need God. So verses 15 and 16 are telling me that this isn't about people. It can't be about people. It's about the value system that we live in, the moral environment that we live in. But it also tells me that we are definitely in a spiritual battle. And of course we are. I mean, Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Verse number 15 is definitely not about flesh and blood. It's about the system. But Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So as our dear brother Aaron, Aaron uh, Evans would say, armor up, put on the armor of God and fight this good fight. Because Satan's out there to tempt you back and try to lure you back into that way. But uh, verse 16, but the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all these things are not of God. I don't think anyone didn't know that. It's just a reiteration of something that we heard and we know. But these things are not of God. We can't live there. And verse number 17 just kind of rounds out the, the passage says, the world is passing away. And for that I say, hallelujah, this system is going away. Praise God. And as it's winding down, calamities are rising up. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? The world is falling apart. It's winding down. The world is passing away. But the calamities are ramping up. Fires, earthquakes, hurricanes, wars, rumors of wars, diseases, pestilences, violence on the street but this world is passing away and the lust of it is passing away but he who does the will of God abides forever I would put in my little footnote right here Jesus is coming hang on everybody Jesus is coming don't get taken by the world or the worldly system Jesus is coming take a look at the times take a look at the signs around us I honestly I'm a little bit Bewildered why there's not more talk on Facebook about Jesus coming back. A lot of talk about what's going on, but no one's really saying, you know, Jesus is coming back. I feel it. I mean, I, we have to feel that. We have to live like that. We have to live in light of his return is tomorrow or today. We're supposed to live that way. 
So Jesus is coming. The world is passing away. So if, if, we, if we get out of the world, the worldly way, we're blessed. I want to talk about that in a minute. If we don't get out of the world, we're, we put ourselves in a very dangerous, precarious situation where we could lose everything with God. And I want to give you some examples of that. You don't have to turn here. I just want to talk through a couple of scriptures. So out of this world, if we don't get out of this world, well, I've known people actually that have lived, a, they're living a Christian life, but there's a couple of areas where they're definitely not. And you know what? They are miserable people because they cannot enjoy either one. Because on the one hand, they're guilty. They feel the guilt and the shame. On the other hand, they're indulging their flesh and they like that, but they know it's wrong. It's a terrible situation to be in. I don't know how long that could even last. I think God is gracious. He may allow that for a time. Who knows how long? But sooner or later, some decisions have got to be made. But listen, if we don't get out of the worldly way, here are some examples. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.10. Just one little scripture. Paul had a traveling companion named Demas. Demas was a good man, Christian man. Paul's, you know, companion in the ministry. But it says in 2 Timothy 4.10 that Demas loved this present world and left us. So can I say, if we love this present world so much, you know what? God's going to say, I'm not going to keep you here. You can go if you want to go. But see, pastors and teachers will tell you, is it worth going there to lose everything for your fleshly desire? I don't, we don't know what Demas was, you know, what he was involved with. He loved the present. He loved the system of the world. He was tired of the system of the spirit and the church. And that may speak to some people today. Some of us may be tired of the principles in the church and in the spirit, in the word of God. We may be tired of it because you know why? It's hard. So we want to go back where it's a little easier. But we go back, that will suck you up and eat you up and tear you up and bring you down as, as soon as you could say it. Demos was a good man that loved the world. He left the ministry. He left his good friend. He left the work that he was called to do. He just dropped out. He went backwards. We don't know what happened to Demos. James chapter 4, verse 4, another scripture. James writes... And James' epistle was the first epistle ever written. So it was early on in the early church. So think back of Acts 2, when 3,000 people got saved. So sometime after that, James writes this letter to the church. He says, don't you know friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Wow. And he says it early on in the history of the church. We can't live in both worlds. I, I used to, like, there's a scripture in Colossians that says, we were enemies of God before we came to Christ. And when I first read that many years ago, I, I said, well, I was never an enemy of God. I, I just didn't follow God. But the Holy Spirit convicted me. As such, I was an enemy of God. But now, if you're friends with the world, you're a Christian, but you're friends with the world system of things, you make yourself an enemy of God again. I would put it that way. You go back to way, the way it was before. 
So this, this immoral, remember, we're not talking about people. We're talking about a value system. Immoral uh, values, ungodly values, lust and pride. If we go back into that, we're friends with that. But keep it in context. If we're friends with that, if pride rises up, and how many times do we see pride rise up in a church? It's a terrible thing in a church. We see it. We try to deal with it. When lust rises up in a church, it's a terrible thing for the church to deal with. When someone has an affair in the church, it's, it's, it could ruin the church. But anyway, you make friends with the world, you become an enemy of God. Look over in uh, 1 John chapter 4 real quick, another one. 1 John 4, verse number 1, just I'll paraphrase that scripture. It says, in the world, many false prophets have gone out. And, I, I, you know, why look for the answer out there? When the answer is in here. You see, this is the thing. Well, 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy 3.15 says, The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So why would you leave the church to go out into the world to find whatever you're looking for when the world is the pillar and foundation of the lie, the big lie, that you could do it without God, without surrendering to the Lordship of Christ? So the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Why would you look outside of the world? And outside of the church, there are so many different false teachers and prophets. It makes our stomach churn. But why go to the world for the answer when the answer is right here in the church? And then as we look at uh, 1 John 2, 15 and 16, we see that the, the result of the world embracing the worldly way uh, is characterized by lust and pride, which I said before, lust and pride are definitely two earmarks of Satan and the demonic fallen nature of humanity. Lust and pride. Now, I want to go over to Isaiah chapter 14, if we can. So if you can, I don't have it on the screen, so if you want to read along, you can. If not, I'll just read it to you. But Isaiah 14, I think, is a very important scripture. Because it talks about, well, in the Old Testament, there, there are many prophecies, right? But some prophecies are for then, then and there. And, and sometimes those prophecies refer to something down the line. Okay? It's called the law of uh, double reference. So in Isaiah 14, we have the law of double reference. If you look at chapter 14, verse 4, <clears throat> this is a... Uh, a, a word given to the king of Babylon. Okay, so that's for the present. But when you look at double reference, there's another application to this same thing to Lucifer. And I want you to see, I want you to see the ruler of this world and where he's at. So if you look at verse number 9, 14, Isaiah 14, 9. Hell from beneath is excited about you. Well, that, that verse right there should put a little fear in our heart. Could you imagine if that applied to you? Hell from beneath is excited about you. No, hell should be afraid of us. They should be fearing us. But anyway, let me continue. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. In other words, you're going to hell. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth, all the ungodly, sinful people that are in hell. It has raised up... Uh, it, it has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. 
And they all speak and say to you, have you also become weak as, as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol or to hell. And the sound of your stringed instruments is brought low. That, that's where we get the idea that Lucifer, Satan, was in charge of the music in heaven before he fell. But the sound of your stringed instruments, that unholy music, right, is brought down. The maggot is spread under you, the worms over you. Oh, verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, the day star. How you were cut down to the ground, you who were weakened, you who weakened the nations. Look at the lust and the pride right here, verse 13. For you have said in your heart, I'll ascend to heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll also sit on the, on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the most high. Lust and pride in the heart of Lucifer, the fallen angel. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Is this the, the enemy of our soul that caused all this destruction in in, uh, in India and in China and in America? Is this, is this the one who caused such rebellion? Who shook the kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? Is this the one that we thought had so much power? Now he's in hell with everybody else. That's a strong statement. But see, this is the kingdom that God has delivered us from through the blood of Jesus. We say it all the time, through the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. And we don't realize what that really entails. He has made a way for us to get out of that, that future and go have a whole different future before us. Because this is our future without Christ. It's hell, it's suffering, it's being demolished, it's being punished eternally. So when John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the love of the Father can't be in you if you're in that. And all this is passing away. All the lust is passing away. But he who abides in God will live forever. Man, the line is in the sand so clearly. There's no room. There's no wiggle room. You're in or you're out. You're with God or you're not with God. So I want to, I want to, um, I'm going to summarize this next part because this is where we were last uh, at the earlier service and I really abbreviated. But here, I want to talk about if we get out of the world and we stay in Christ, we have tremendous blessing. And that's where we are. I don't want to leave this message by telling you how terrible it is if, if you don't get out of the world. I want to tell you how great it is if you get out of the worldly way and live for God. It's a fantastic life. Not a perfect life, but it's a good life. So let's take a few minutes here. If we get out of the world, the worldly system, here, here's the, the first thing I wanted to share. We are alive in Christ. I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone and uh, 
you know, you could tell by looking in their eyes whether they're with you or not. But when someone's alive in Christ, you have a connection like that. You could tell. That person is, is lit up for the Lord. As opposed to someone that's dead on the inside. You could see it all over them. But when we're out of the world and into Christ, we're in, in the word of God. We're, we're living as a born-again believer. We are out of the world. We are alive in Christ. That Ephesians 2, it says that God, who was rich in mercy. Oh, absolutely. None of us deserve it. My goodness. None of us. <laughs> Man, who would want to put our, our life credentials on the screen? We all fall short. But he's rich in mercy. He took us, we who were dead, he made us alive in Christ. He raised us up. And not only did he raise us up for now, but that's verse number six says, he raised us up to sit in heavenly places. So you could say, as according to Hebrews 12, we're already registered in heaven. If we're out of the worldly way, if we're in Christ... We have a magnificent life now, and we have a reservation for heaven down the, down the line whenever that comes. Isn't that awesome? This is the one benefit of being out of the world. See the trade-off? What do you want? Well, you want, the, want some satisfaction in the world, or you want to you know, forfeit that, give that up, and live for God for the rest of your life, knowing the reward of that is a reservation in heaven. I'm choosing that one. I'm going over there. So then it says that in the ages to come, he would show us the exceeding riches of his grace. If we study Revelation, and, and we did this a few years ago on Wednesday nights, the church has a great role to play at the end of those thousand years, if you know what I'm talking about. At the end of those thousand years, the church rules with Christ. And this is part of our future. You want to forfeit that for some worldly or fleshly satisfaction? Now, not me. I'm out of that. I'm done with that. So in, in, if we're in Christ, if we're in the light, if we're out of the world, everything, listen to this, everything is better. Not perfect, but it's better. We think clearer. We speak with more intention. We, we respect ourselves. The light is in us. It's in our heart. Our mind, our spirit is affected. Life ha has a purpose and a meaning that it didn't have before. And yes, darkness may, may call us. Sin may knock on our door. Come on, I'm not immune to that. I get tempted a lot by different things. But 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the Lord always provides, I call these escape clauses, escape verses. There's always something in the Word of God that speaks to us when we think we can't handle it anymore. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it or endure it. Everything is covered. You can't say, Lord, I can't, take, I can't deal with it. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. You know, trust God. Get somebody to talk to or to pray with. You can, we can do this. We are alive in Christ. So my word here is, if, you're, you, know, if you came to Christ, whenever you came to Christ... As Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift, stir up your life, stir up your commitment to the Lord and stay in the light. And I'll, and I'll be more articulate. Stay in the church, stay in the Holy Spirit, stay in your Bible, stay in the Bible study. 
All those things are designed to keep us from the evil one that's trying to knock on our door saying, come on back, come on back, come on back, come on back. But if we're alive in Christ, and we are, if we're alive in Christ, we've got to feed that spirit man with good things and be aware of the temptations all around us. I think it was Pastor Kashner that I heard say, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest in your hair. And so stay alive in Christ. Number two is this. If you're out of the world, you are now in a position to be useful for the kingdom of God. Useful for the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, one of my favorite scriptures. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. So we are the foolish things, you and I. We're the weak things that God has saved and called out to put to shame the wise and the mighty, those that are operating under the fallen, unredeemed value system of the world. We are the little people. We're the humble people. We're the ones broken before God. We are now useful for the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen right there. We are useful. So you can't, you can't, I mean, I didn't know this at the time, but we can't say, okay, I'm a Christian person and do nothing about it or do do nothing with that. And not everyone's going to be in the ministry per se, but we become useful for God to, to speak through us to somebody else or to some situation. I think of the great men and women of the Bible, but Abraham was a very shrewd talker when he talked about his wife being his sister, which she was, but he manipulated that to find favor with people. Jacob was called the supplanter because he stole the brother's birthright. Moses killed a man. David committed adultery and killed a man. Peter was loud and boisterous. James and John were sons of thunder. Paul was a, was a pedigree Jewish man, fervent in his faith, brought to his knees by an encounter with Jesus. Timothy was shy and unassuming. John Mark was a, a, failed, a failure several times before he got things right. But what I'm saying is when we get out of the worldly way of thinking that I'm no good, I can never do anything, that is a lie from hell. We get out of that worldly mindset and we're, we are totally a new creation. The sky is the limit for what God wants to do in us and through us. So you, church, you can overcome that problem that you've had for however long. You can finish your education if that's what you want to do. If you want to go for some profession that's been on your mind for a while, you can go ahead and achieve that goal with Christ helping you. I could testify that that happened to me. With Christ, all things are possible. You can touch a soul with the gospel. You can. You can start a new ministry here at the church. You can, you can join an existing ministry. You could even become a missionary. You know that? You could become a missionary. There's stories galore. We know a chiropractor from Linfield that became a missionary in the middle of his successful practice in his 40s or 50s. Now he's ministering in Africa, for goodness sakes. We know, uh, we, I know a few pastors 
They gave up their pastoral role to leave America, go to the mission field and be a missionary. I even know a computer geek that uses his computer skills for the kingdom of God. He's a missionary in the assemblies of God in the computer world, which is amazing to me. 2 Timothy 4.11, one of my favorite scriptures, uh, Paul says to John Mark, and now John Mark, think about John Mark, he ran away from in the Garden of Gethsemane in fear. He ran away from the mission field with Paul and Barnabas. He left. He, uh, he caused a great problem between Paul and Barnabas. They had a big argument over him. He was always kind of getting in trouble. But at the end of Paul's life, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, as he's in prison, give me John Mark. Bring me John Mark. He's useful for ministry. How did he get useful? Because he never went back to the world. He failed numerous times. But he never got plugged into the worldly way. What he did was he got associated with Peter, actually. And got grounded, got healed, got strengthened, got encouraged. And he kept going, kept going. And Paul says at the end, get me John Mark. He's useful for ministry. Can someone say that about you? Are you useful for ministry? I would say you are, or you can be, or you must be. There's got to be something you can contribute to the cause of Christ. John Mark, as you know, is better known as Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. How could he write the Gospel of Mark? He he failed so many times because he never gave up. And God used him powerfully to write a gospel that we still read today. This is awesome. So Philippians 4, 12, and 13, uh, as, as Ella and I were doing Thursday talk last Thursday, she comes with a scripture every Thursday, and that was our scripture. Philippians 4, uh, 4 12, and 13. Just to paraphrase, Paul writes, uh, I, I've learned whether I'm up or down, whether I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether, whether I'm abased or abounding, I've learned whatever condition I'm in, I, I've learned to be content. And he says, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's sitting in prison telling everyone, I could do prison through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter if I'm up or down, because I, I know who I am, and I'm useful for the kingdom of God. As he was in prison, he wrote those prison epistles, as, as we know. So if you're out of the world, you can be useful in the kingdom of God. But if you're in the world and you try to be useful in the kingdom of God, we have a dilemma. That's when problems begin to happen. When, when a minister or a church or workers get a bad reputation because one foot is in, one foot is out, and they're not really being productive with what they should be doing because they're trying to live in two worlds. It doesn't work. The third thing is this. If you're out of the worldly way and you're living for God with all your heart, Colossians 1, 21 to 23, let me read it to you. It says, once, uh, here, here it is, once you were alienated, enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now uh, Jesus has reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death to present you, get this, Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Man, I want that to be my reputation. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. And right there, I'm feeling fulfilled. I'm feeling like I'm not perfect. I know that. Everybody knows that. But before God, I'm holy, 
I'm forgiven, I'm blameless, I'm above reproach, I'm in good standing with God. I feel fulfilled. You know how I feel? If I died, I'd go to heaven. That's how I feel. And that's how we should feel. You know, we should feel like we should have that confidence. I'm fulfilled in life. I mean, if I'm here, I'm here. I'm going to do a work for God. I'm going to do what I do. But if I'm not here, I'm going to heaven. And that's exactly, by the way, the attitude our dear sister Jane Kostra had. She told me, I, I'm ready to go. You know, she's like a few weeks ago, I'm ready to go. But if I'm here, I'm here. If I'm not, I'm, I'll be in heaven. So whatever. What a good attitude. She was fulfilled. And we must be fulfilled. But if you look at that, that passage, verse that was verses 21 and 22. Verse 23 says, if you continue in the faith. So we're holy and blameless and above reproach by what Jesus did for us. If we continue in the faith, rooted and grounded in the faith. So there's that little word that has a tremendous meaning, if. So if we're in this relationship with Christ, with the church, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're outside of the worldly system and we're covered in the blood of Jesus, we're considered holy and blameless and above reproach. And that makes us fulfilled in life. Church, I want to encourage you to to ponder certain areas of your life where the worldly influence has to die. And the Christian influence has to rise up. So let me, let me conclude here. Out of this world. When we're out of this world, we're alive in Christ. We're useful for Christ. We're fulfilled in Christ. And we're in a very good position. 1 John 2.17 says this. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of, the, of God abides forever. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We're going to uh, prepare our hearts for communion in a few minutes. Uh, I wonder if we could just pause for a minute. Could you just bow your, your head, close your eyes, and let's just get alone with the Lord for a minute. I know that today's message was, was very direct and um, maybe strong. But I think John is not, you know, playing games with what he's saying. He's calling people out. You can't live in two worlds. And that's a message that we need to hear today. I wonder, as we prepare for communion, uh, if there's anyone here today that feels like you've been, you've been, you've been in both worlds. You, you know it. God knows it. Maybe your family knows it. And, and you want to make some changes in your life. You want to transition from the way of the world to a 100% way of the Spirit. In fact, the Lord is calling us to do just that. I wonder if there's some that are plagued by, by guilt and, and just uncertainty in your life because of your past and, and you keep going back that way instead of gravitating towards the cross and, and grace. And you're being torn, you're, 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 you're going, bouncing back and forth from world spirit, world spirit. It's time today to make a decision and say, I will put God first. And if I fall, I'm going to repent and get right back up and live for the Lord. So we're getting ready for communion.
And as we get ready, I'm just gonna I'm gonna sing a little song right now um, as we prepare our hearts. And just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart here. <clears throat> Some of you may know this uh, this song, older song. <clears throat> James, we're in the key of C. If you could help us out back there.
The cross is the dividing line. He did that so we could get out of the worldly way into his way. Oh, hallelujah. What a glorious thought that is. He's made a way when there was no way before. Everyone have your setup. Those of you at home, please, I forgot to mention, uh, get your bread or cracker or, and uh, some juice or water as we partake of communion. And let's partake of communion with the backdrop of this sermon in our spirit. We're out of the world. This tells us we're in a different world. We're no longer in the worldly way. We're in the world of the spirit. Hallelujah. At that last supper, Jesus took bread and broke it and uh, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Oh, Lord, we remember you. Yes, we do. We remember your sacrifice. Lord, we, we've seen uh, images through the media, through movies, artwork, of what it may have been like. But we really don't know how gruesome it was. All we know, Lord, you allowed your body to take on the abuse that was designed really for every one of us, our punishment, for our sinfulness. So, Lord, thank you for taking our sin upon yourself and allowing your body to be destroyed so that we could walk away scot-free. Lord, what a beautiful sacrifice it was. What a complete sacrifice it was. So we thank you, Lord, for your broken body today that allows us to have new life in the spirit. We give you thanks and praise, Lord. Let's partake of the bread together. children. We pray, Lord, that you would supernaturally rescue people from the pit of hell 
in the pit of life that we just talked about, the worldly way. Rescue them. Rescue, Lord, our sons and daughters, our grandchildren, our parents, our siblings. Rescue them, Lord. Send your spirit, O God, and send people that could represent you maybe better than we could to our loved ones and rescue those that are lost and dying in this God-forsaken world. We pray, Lord, that soon many of our loved ones would be able to celebrate communion with us, knowing exactly what it's all about. But Lord, we hold in our hands this cup of the juice, symbolic of the blood of Christ. Lord Jesus, you said at that last supper, you took the cup, and you said, this is the cup of the new covenant in which there's remission or forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Yes, Lord, we remember you today. And we thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. The broken body was one thing, but your word says there's always been a, a blood sacrifice from the very beginning in Genesis 3. And so without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And Lord, you laid down your life and you shed your blood one time for the sin of humanity. And we are so appreciative and thankful that you made a way for us to get out of the worldly system into the system of the Spirit of God. So Lord, today we, we celebrate and we thank you for the means by which you allowed us to get out, out of the worldly way and to live for you. Lord, we also know in the word of God, it says, through the shedding of blood, there's healing. And Lord, for anyone that doesn't know you, we pray for healing of spirit. We pray for healing of mind. We pray for healing of body as well through the atoning work of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, all that you're doing right now, and all that you will yet to do in the days ahead. We thank you, Lord, for your shed blood on Calvary that we could be made clean and whole. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the cup together. Praise the Lord. Can we stand together, church? Stacey Johnson, could you come here and say a closing prayer over the church today? Thank you. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word that, that guides us, that feeds us, that satisfies that directs us, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that pulls us and leads us and breathes life over us, Father. Yes. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his blood. We thank you that without his blood sacrifice, we would be in darkness. We thank you that there's light, there's eternity promised, Father. So I just pray, Lord, that as we leave this morning, we will be determined to, to live according to your will, your plan, your word, Father. Yes, that we will make a we will, we will recognize the line in the sand, Father. We will not turn back. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your blood, Father. Lord, we pray again 
We rejoice for the tides that have turned against the spirit of death over our nation, over churches, over our country, Father. We pray again for families. I pray, Father, just for your blood covering over families, over the the designed attack against families and against our future generations, Father. We stand together and we say no to any satanic governmental covenant with sin, and we say yes to you, Father. We say yes to you artist of the heavens author of life we say yes to your perfect plan and your will father we thank you father for for your promises and we ask for beautiful blessings in your name jesus let us have ears quick to hear your voice may our hearts be light even with the weight the burden of sin we thank you jesus blessings in your mighty name we pray amen Amen and amen. Thank you, Stacy. God bless you, church. Uh, parents, pick up your kids downstairs. Uh, you're free to have some fellowship right now if you want. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you in two weeks. Make sure you're in church the next two Sundays. I'll be checking on you. <laughs>